Hello and thank you for downloading my podcast, McHugh Corner. This is season two and this episode, I'll be speaking with one of my closest friends about the trauma and change that he's been through in his life, how he's learned to live with it and also bring you some comfort if you're going through a similar thing too. Okay, so I have Donald here with me today, one of my best friends, and we were talking the other day about me starting this podcast and what I'm going to do for sort of this season. And I had a bunch of essentially, not even controversial, but like a a bunch of different topics that sometimes people might not feel comfortable with talking about. Um, And one of the topics that Donald liked was about trauma and going through trauma and change and what, um, what his experience has been through that. So Donald was diagnosed with HIV a couple of years ago. Is that right? Yeah, it was August 2017. August 2017. So that is what we're going to be talking about today and Donald's experience of it. Um, so, I mean, I've got so many questions for you. Um, and also, thank you for coming on because I feel like it's quite a brave thing to talk about because not a lot of people would be so open and honest about it, I imagine. Um, and also... You watch Queer Eye, don't you? I do watch Queer Eye and <laughs> yeah. I listen to Jonathan Van Ness's podcast quite a lot as yeah, well. Yeah, you actually got me into that. Yeah, so, so yeah. I mean, it's a, if anyone has not listened to it before, it's called Getting Curious. And um, yeah, Jonathan Van Ness is just a, an amazing person, but it went very public with his, uh, sorry, their um, HIV status at the beginning of this year or towards yeah. the end of mm-hmm. last year. Um, and I think that kind of shone a lot more light on it um and since like i suppose i had lived with it for um at that point like just over two years and um it was it's a strange thing because as being someone who like like, i'm 24 i came out when i was like 14 so i've been Mm -hmm. um like fairly comfortable with my um queer identity for like 10 years now and then to have like a second thing which was very much um having to like comes terms of how do like I come out with this? Yeah, um, was strange, and it's I've, I, I'm pretty open about it with like um, my mum and my sister, um, and then like a good amount of my friends, mm-hmm. and then obviously my boyfriend as well. Yeah, um, and maybe we can talk about that later because that was quite a yeah. Well, why don't we start off with how did you, you know, how did you find out, and like what was the what was the situation you were in? Because I remember you telling me when we lived in Aberdeen together, but maybe that was after you, quite a while of you knowing. So how how did it all kind of come come about sort of thing? Yeah, so I kind of went through a few months of being very ill, mm-hmm. um, which happened very quickly. So um, between like May and July 2017. So at the beginning of May, um, which also was just the worst time for me to get that ill because it was like right at the very end of my degree. And I was like, um, and I went to art school. So it's exam time, wasn't it? At the end of art school, you've got like this big exhibition that you've got to make and it's like a solo show and it's like a lot of people come to it and it's just a lot of work. And I can remember just being like, oh, so unwell. That's Mm -hmm. when I knew something was really wrong, actually. Oh, really? Um, But yeah, so at the beginning of May, I'd I'd been on holiday. this is back when I was like, ooh, I'm still a party animal and <laughs> yeah. like to go to like gay bars and like whatever, like mm-hmm. like people do. They go to bars and like have sex with people. Um, and 
I, that is one thing I probably would say straight off the bat that I never felt um, guilty for mm-hmm. the way that I got HIV, which is like I had unprotected sex, like it could happen to literally anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yeah, so that would be the situation. I was on holiday and then I came back and um, kind of got quite unwell. But I, I mean, I've had a, like, a history of getting like chest infections before, like my whole life basically. Um, and I just kind of passed it off as something like that yeah and it didn't really get much better um so did you I went, go to the doctors at that point yeah so yeah. i did go to the doctors i went to the doctors um i actually over the course of that month went to the doctors quite a few times um and i think um all the credit to like the nhs but sometimes when it comes to like when you're not dealing with a specialized doctor that can kind of notice a pattern and mm. an illness or if you're not seeing the same doctor on a regular basis um, which was what happened with my GP practice at the time in Aberdeen. Um, it's just details like that can be missed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I kind of was like continually <clears throat> um, prescribed uh, antibiotics and I would oh. kind of like notice that like for a week I'd be fine and then I'd just be like still so tired all the time. Like, that was the noticeable thing. What like, were the sort of um, the most symptoms that you had like? That you felt so for like a, I I could I do remember like specifically around my graduation week where I was kind of obviously in a celebratory mood and kind of pushing myself to celebrate a bit more than usual and like it would just take me like from a hangover that would take like a week to get over a hangover really and like I had never been so tired like I Meg has known me my whole life I'm not an early bird I'm no. I, I'm up until like the wee hours every single night of my life yeah. even if I've got to be up at half six for work in the morning I'm up until like two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and I was going to bed at like half past eight at night like, oh really so it was just really tired yeah like extremely fatigued and then for the f- one of the things that really started to concern me. Um, was that I'd started to get like ulcers on my mouth and I've never had an issue with ulcers before on my mouth um, and that was like I can remember it ruined my graduation meal because like when I was having my meal I just felt like it was like burning my lips trying to oh, eat really? food because it was just like so sensitive to sodium probably um, and oh, it was horrible yeah and it was after that point it was the ulcers that really was like something is not right here and I need to like maybe go for a different kind of like medical test Right. Did you did you sort of have any idea, or did you just? I think when yeah, I had you researched been, it or anything like that. I think when it had been about a month of being ill, the part of me was like, okay, maybe this is like not a normal illness. I didn't know mm-hmm. exactly what it was. As like a gay man, like I suppose a bit of the back of my head kind of like went to that assumption, mm-hmm. um, but didn't obviously want to just like think of that um but then I was kind of like I'd had a pretty bad experience with a sexual health clinic when I was like um like my first year of university where I had a very judgmental nurse oh really so I really why would they work there then exactly (laughs) like can you imagine like I'm sorry but like who works in sexual health and is like oh my god you have sex (laughs) yes I have sex that's why I've you've got an employed job thanks to me yeah I know that's so true actually Um, that's ridiculous so I've always been quite um cautious of like I just really hated the idea of going to get a sexual health checkup because I just kind of thought of it as being very invasive and like also kind of having to like own up to certain every time I went for a sexual health check between that 
I mean, it was pretty like common knowledge that I was not like I was a fairly like promiscuous person. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I didn't ever really feel guilty about that. But every time I went into that kind of environment, um, I think mostly because that in Aberdeen and until that uh, um, diagnosis, I just it felt like a very straight space. Right. Um, and it didn't really feel like anyone I talked to in those spaces had really understood the kind of sex I had and mm-hmm. how I was having sex. Um, I always felt that there was a really big emphasis on like how many partners have you had? Yeah. And like and that doesn't really matter for that, does it? Because it's like it comes from one person. So no, it doesn't. Right? I, I mean, it shouldn't really matter how many partners you had sex with. And I, I must admit, my experience of being diagnosed with HIV was actually incredibly positive. And the main thing that um, that helped with that was that I'd found that they'd begun a trial of like a. Um, LGBTQ specific um, sexual health clinic in Aberdeen oh. alongside a charity um, and I, I feel so bad that I can't remember the name of the charity now but um, it was an amazing place. Is that a new, was that a new thing? It was a new thing. I, I think it had been running for maybe like I'm going to say like a few months um, and it was like once a week um, but it was good. I went. The nurse that I had was just like very non non judgmental. I don't know if there'd been like kind of like consultation into like the kind of question that they would ask queer people mm-hmm. around sexual health. But there was nothing around like how many partners have you yeah. had and how many whatever and this. And I think they, also it's like um as a as a good reason why people are, you know, don't come out with it or they just try and, you know, live their lives with this and they don't go to a clinic because they're made to feel so bad about themselves and it's just not the way that you should deal with people like anybody exactly and I think the thing that I realised and I have really realised actually um, in the kind of first year of me when I was like coming to terms with having HIV um, was not even specifically like my own trauma of having to like deal with living with HIV Mm. but like the wider specifically with gay men um, this wider like community trauma of like how to talk about HIV since it is an HIV and AIDS was a terrifying disease which killed millions and millions of um, queer people in our community yeah I think um that's the issue with it, isn't it? It's like there's so many other illnesses that you can get and people are like, oh, well, you know, we can cure that, we can cure that. But as soon as you get um, the the label HIV, people like back away from it. They don't know how to deal with it. Probably yourself when you first got diagnosed with it, you were a bit like, fuck, what is this, you know, life-threatening? Can I, can I get through this? Um, I mean, is that what you felt when you first found out? So when I... So basically the process for when you get diagnosed with HIV to kind of walk through what that looks like. Um, I went for a test, like you would get any other sexual health test, and then um, about a week later I got a call from the sexual health clinic saying, we need you to come in in relation to one of your tests. And they don't they didn't tell me which test, but I just said on the phone, like, what test is this relating to? Right. And the doctor <clears throat> on the phone um, said that it was in relation to my HIV test. Right. So at that point, that's when I was like, right, fuck, I need to like Google what the fuck happens when you get called back in for an HIV test. Like, yeah. is there like a margin of error or something? Mm-hmm. And then through doing that, kind of looking up online, um, I have seen that basically like the kind of test that they do um, 
it just tries to check for if there's like presence of the virus within your body. So if it comes back positive for that test, they need to do like a second test, which um, to be frank, basically just confirms the first one. So like right. the chance of the first one not being accurate is very slim. Okay. Um, but it's not an in-depth test, so they need to take a few more blood samples for it to um, kind of uh, just to be like, whatever this is you have this mm-hmm. um but the nurse that i went into to see on the day of getting my second test was very good and i i feel like you could kind of pussyfoot around uh, something like that to try and not hurt someone's feelings or like try and reassure them yeah and the first thing i happened when i sat down in that um in the clinic with the nurse was she just looked at me and I was kind of, you could see I was a bit shaky. Yeah. Um, and that was a bit scared. And she just looked at me and she's like, you have HIV. And she's like, there's really? no, there's, there's, like, this is... No two no, ways about there's it. There's no two ways about it. You have HIV and I know you're upset. And I started crying at that point. And she's like, why are you crying? I was like, I, I just feel a bit scared. Yeah. And she was like, there is nothing to be scared of. That's so good. Like, you need that assurance, don't you? Like, straight off the bat. And it was a very intense day that day. Like mm-hmm. I went, I can remember that day really. Clear. I can't remember the exact date of it. Some people like with I've looked on like there's quite a few people that share their experiences on YouTube, and like a few of them like remote remember the exact date. I don't. No, I've never been that kind of like sentimental a person to really note down like oh this is twenty sixth. This was the date. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was a really nice day. It was very warm, and I can remember getting in there. And it was a long procedure. The first like one, it was like I was in the clinic for like three and a half hours. Oh, really? Um, because just chatting, or so a lot of it was just chatting to kind of like say, okay, what are your concerns, and then they just kind of talk you through what treatment's going to be like, and okay, um, they have to do um at that like I said, this kind of second confirmation test. Basically, what they do is they take a, a series of blood samples, um, which is quite a lot. I think by my memory, it was about eighteen blood samples that oh, they take. Oh God, is, would you not like? faint um so i mean they had to at some point like stop taking it from one arm because the vein had like just <laughs> stopped <laughs> yeah God, it makes me sick, that. i know oh. i mean i just i i've been getting like regular blood tests for six, like every kind of like three to six months for two years and i still just like don't look no nah. the last uh, checkup i got actually though i did look i was just like oh Legit. <laughs> i'm so used oh. to it at this point i just even Fair. but the first one i was like Oh, and uh, feel like so like over dramatic, probably. Yeah, but I always felt like that when I got blood tests. I was like, I can't do it. But like, um, I, I mean, I've never had a medical test like it. But I, I, basically, they're just checking to see what every single part of your, how every part of your so body is working. So like kidney function, and the main thing that they want to check is um, with HIV is um, what your um, your viral load is, which is basically how much virus is present per milliliter of blood. Right, okay. And that gives you an extent, like a kind of how hard it's going to be to get you in on treatment, like how quickly your treatment's going so to start working. So how long you've essentially waited to get yep. treated. Yep, basically. Yeah. I mean, to, it can, even um, if you've been with it for like, some people have HIV for years and they don't even know because it can be, just depends on the, the strand of virus that they have contracted where it can either like rapidly um, multiply in the blood or you can get ones that are very dormant. Um, But the other thing they check is to see how your immune system is functioning, um, basically, uh-huh. because the the virus does target your immune function. So that's why... It's quite good in a way that you were so sick. 
for yeah. you to notice because imagine going years without noticing. Yeah, so I mean, that, that is the, the the big worry if you go years without um without noticing is the the potential for how many people you could like that you can can come into contact with in terms of like even just like i mean for any listeners that are unaware of how hiv is spread you have really got nothing to be worried of like hiv is spread like really by blood to blood it is not about there you can't do not it doesn't happen through kissing doesn't happen through like sharing a straw Oh, right, yeah, of course. Anything yeah. like that, or like touching someone. Mm-hmm. It is purely blood to blood. Um, so when I um, had the um, those first results, I had like a viral of like, they said it was like 800, which um, to me I was like, fuck, like 800. How, how, how much is that? Like, what does that mean? I know that was, that was my, my thing. There's so much information taken on that yeah. day. Like, I can remember just like literally walking away from that whole day and just being like, drained like I was like a zombie like mm. it's just so much informational overload but I was like 800 fuck 800 what mm. and then um, basically 800 is not that bad so there are some people that come in with HIV um, on their first test and they can have like up to a million um, oh fuck um, now, that doesn't sound good no so basically well that and the number of that is important because um through treatment with the medication, so for myself, I take one pill a day. And um, what that does is it essentially st- stops the virus's ability to like um, multiply in the blood. Um, right. But it doesn't eradicate it. There's not a cure for HIV at the moment, but it does have the um, potential to make something uh, what would be undetectable. So I, I'm undetectable. I've heard of this. Yeah. Right. So uh, for uh, undetectable, um, there's a really good campaign out just now. Um, by the Scottish government and also by the Terence Higgins Trust, which is a, a um, specific trust which deals with HIV um, and trying to end the stigma around living with HIV. Mm-hmm. And we live in an incredible time when it comes to HIV with a combination of like the treatments that people are on. So they're called uh, antiretroviral treatments. And then um, PrEP, which is a pre-exposure tablet that um, people who are at risk of contracting HIV can take basically stops you being able to contract HIV even if you come into contact so it, with it. So even if you... So I'm getting a bit confused, right? So you can obviously pass HIV through sex. Yeah. Um, but you're saying it's just blood. So the reason that like a lot of people associate HIV as a gay disease mm-hmm. is that anal sex, there's a lot more blood glands in, right, uh, the, okay. in the rectum. So there's a lot more chance for like any sort of like frick friction to cause um oh, I didn't know that cuts like even small cuts so and right. also because the ass doesn't self-lubricate unfortunately so when for, say for example right somebody had HIV and then they had sex with just with a female and it was just normal sex would that pass on or does it have to be blood to blood and there's still potential for blood to blood contact through vaginal sex right okay um and even, I was just always curious about that because I wasn't sure what the you know the line is. The thing that a lot of people, um, the, uh, one of the best things that is like just like learning about HIV more through living with it is actually understanding that HIV is not a sex related um, disease or virus. Really, um, one of the highest people at risk of catching as a group of people that are at risk of catching HIV are actually homeless people and um, people with drug addiction problems so through sharing needles um, right so it just came from something originally and then it's just kind of 
been passed and given the stigma towards gay people. It's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that was around like the media at the time, right. um, and realistically, like a an, uh, government that just doesn't care, right? And um, particularly in the US, um, where I mean, at the time like a conservative or a republican run Ronald Reagan was the president Margaret Thatcher was our prime minister at the time there was a big um, and then John Major so these are just people that just didn't care about queer people or um, trans black people or homeless people or right. drug addiction they were just seen as these kind of like scourges on society so who really cares if they're all dying right that's so true actually because it's it back then it used to have such a terrible stigma attached yeah. to it. No one would ever talk about it, sort of thing. So, I feel like times have moved on a lot since then, haven't they? Times have definitely moved on a lot, thankfully, um, and especially like with figures like JVN going public um, around mm-hmm. um, their HIV status. It brings the conversation into more of a public domain. Um, yeah, I and would. The, sorry, I was I was going to go back to what you said about undetectable. So I was watching something and so basically you can have the strain of HIV but when you take the when you take the pills it becomes pretty much like you don't have it right yes yeah, so, so that's what undetectable means you always have HIV, so that's why you need to continue taking the medication so like I said beforehand there's not a cure unfortunately at <laughs> yeah. the moment um but like that viral load number I mentioned beforehand, mine's originally was 800. Mm. After I started taking medication, basically, the when you go for testing, like regular checkups, they check up to see what your viral load is. Um, and CD4 count, that's the name of the other thing, which is in relation to your immune system to see how that's um, performing. Right. Um, and the with the viral load, if it's below a number of like 32... Um, or on the like if it, on the one they were tested they only measured 32 um, on a conventional HIV test it would actually show as negative right okay um, so anything so it's, just, it's just about taking it down and down and down yep pretty much and at that point it doesn't really have any long term effects on your health um, but also it's impossible to transmit um, HIV to someone even if you had like contactless uh, sorry uh, condomless sex right okay um, so you it's physically impossible this is true of the undetectable that I mentioned beforehand it, different areas will have like different like bar uh, benchmarks for what they'll like term as undetectable okay um, basically I think the general knowledge is that if it, your viral load is 200 or below um, you can't pass it on to right. a partner so when, the, when in terms of like your medication then do you just get that for, forever, essentially, for free? I get it for free on the NHS, thankfully. Thank um, God. In America, it's a completely different story. I where imagine, yeah. It's like, prohibitively expensive. Is it? Um, the issue with a lot of HIV medication is that they have, one company will have a patent on the med- on the medication. Um, there is agreements with like the World Health Organization in Africa to make basically like unbranded versions of uh, the medication particularly to like tackle the AIDS crisis there, which is a completely different thing to like get into a conversation about, and I'm not that knowledgeable of it, to be right, honest. Okay. Um, but in like Europe, America, Asia, um, like my uh, pill is called Triomec, which is like a specific brand of 
their medication mm-hmm. um, and they own the patent on that medication so nobody else can make that medication. Really? Which means that they can sell it at a very high premium. Um, so, How much would one, like... A, a, do you, do you know anything about the American prices? I don't know anything about American prices. I know for the NHS, uh, a month's course of um, the tablets costs about £2,000. <gasps> oh my God. Can you imagine having to pay that? I know. If I th- not more, if you're, if you're over there. Yeah, I mean, there wow. are, in America, there are different, um, like, programs for people that are, like, in financial situations mm-hmm. to help them. Um JVN has a really, really good, uh, Jonathan Van Ness, sorry, has a really good um, actual episode of his podcast where he talks about this and his experiences of having to kind of, what made it so much worse for him is that he had to fill out all of these like huge amounts of forms to prove like basically that he couldn't afford medication for him to even get access to this medication. Um, I think it can cost like upwards of like $4,000. A month? uh, Yeah, for like 30 tablets. (sighs) Who has that sort of money? Like, but I mean, it's not even just the medication. There's like the treatment that goes alongside HIV, which would be like, um, like regular visits to a specialist doctor, mm-hmm. not just a general doctor. Blood tests, having to get those like ran through a lab. Um, in my case, I had like access to counselling as well. Um, so, do you think that's been a a, a good part of it? Um, I was very happy to. Th- I had access. I think for the first month I was kind of in denial. I was like, it's fine. Like when they said everything's fine and there's nothing to worry about, I kind of went out of that um, initial conversation with my specialist at the time with the attitude of like, do you know what? I'm just fine. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to live my life as normal. I've got nothing to worry about, which is true. But I don't think I really thought about the fact that it takes an adjustment to get used to like, not so much. Well, I think the thing that was worried was that made I eventually ended up having issues was with sorry was um how other people would perceive me right okay and that was difficult and actually the most difficult was how other people within my own community were going to perceive me oh really so um I think because like at the time like we lived uh, both me and Meg lived in Aberdeen um and there's not a humongous like organized queer community there's a lot mm. of like lgbtq people but there's not like an organized community like, they're not very visible yeah there's not like a space for them to go to other than like one really crappy bar that like who would go there which one was that again cheers oh yeah <laughs> i can uh, oh no I went once. I went once as well. I went it was once. a strange place. Yeah. It was all right. Our friend Michael used to work there. Oh, really? <laughs> Did he actually? Yeah. Oh, good music, though. Yeah, he's now a doctor, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing to the other. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there's no organised... Well, not from what I can see, anyway. Yeah, so my experience of like how I talked to most other uh, gay men at the time was like apps like Grindr which yeah. is like very transactional very like based on like sex exchange if people aren't aware of what Grindr is like imagine Tinder but it's just a meat market like there's not yeah. anything trying to be romantic on Grindr um, and yeah did you have to well did you, you didn't have to but did, is that the sort of first thing you would say or what did, how did the conversation go around your your status so when I I remember the specifically like the winter afterwards I kind of had this like in my head I was like okay the sex life I had beforehand was bad for me yeah. and um, I wasn't living a good lifestyle and I really was like had these, a lot of negative thoughts about the way that uh, the way that I viewed 
my sex life up until that point. Okay. So then I pressured myself to go the complete opposite way and wanted to be like very like, I'm going to go on dates for the first time in my life and I'm going to try and find someone. But I put a lot of pressure on myself to do that. And so I was going on dates like four times in a month or like or like quite frequently and then that's pretty i mean hefty yeah <laughs> for anyone really for anyone really and also like very hefty on your fucking bank balance like <laughs> more importantly like, more importantly ban- like who can be arsed paying for like nice drinks and like I trying know. to like also it's really hard to have a conversation with someone you've never met before and like trying to like sell yourself basically. Yeah, I know. Unless you've had a couple of drinks. Yeah. That, you definitely need And that's it. where the money goes. Yeah. I know. <laughs> a sober date like twiddling your thumbs. <laughs> I've never understood people that go coffee on a first date. I couldn't do it. No. No way. Like, need a couple of drinks of wine. Need a couple of drinks of wine. And like, and like a list of things I'm going to say. <laughs> it sounds really weird, but like a conversation starter at least. The one that's even worse for me is like, who goes for a meal on their first date? Uh, well, actually, yeah, I've never done that. I've just went for drinks. Like, bold move to like eat in front of yeah, someone. I think I'm a pretty bad eater as well. Like, I think I'm like... Oh, I'm a sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not very good. So. Oh, I actually remember when I first went on a... Not it was first date with Rory, but it was like third or fourth and he was eating. And I was like... I've never seen somebody eat so bad in my life than him. Men so, are just pegs, aren't we? Like, <laughs> even the gay ones. We're just like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, back to your dating situation. Yeah, and uh, I think I've done that because I wanted to have a bit more intimacy in my life. I think I had yeah. a, a severe lack of... When it came to like the way that I related with other gay men, a severe lack of intimacy in my life mm-hmm. at that point. And I found that very hard to deal with. And I think having HIV, that that really made me have to like think about that for the first time. That like mm-hmm. I don't actually really know how to even like relate to gay men other than through sex. That's interesting that you say that actually, because I, I didn't actually know that. Because mm-hmm. um, you're like one of the, in my opinion, most confident people that I know, and you're so like self assured and stuff like that. So it's interesting to hear that you actually had like that little bit of vulnerability where you. Um, you know, didn't really bond in that way. It was more kind of physical. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a lot more, you know, prevalent with just gay guys because they just kind of want the one thing. And or just men in general. Well, really. yeah, men in general, yeah. Whereas, like, females like to get to know the person more or whatever. Um, so I can imagine it would be a... It would be a bit difficult to go on dates on Grinder. I think the other thing was, like, it wasn't even so much that, like... I mean, obviously, I didn't know... I I had a lack of confidence in how to relate to gay men other than with my body. But also, just generally speaking, like, I hadn't really been, like, around male company much my entire life. Like, um, the majority of my friend group, even to the, like, just today, like, most of my social circle are female. Yeah. Um, And, like, when I was growing up, it was, like, my mum and me and my sister like majority of the time like my dad was there but he worked abroad quite a lot mm-hmm. so like I just never really had that much exposure to like male company and so I just never really knew how to talk to men like in general yeah um like one of the best things about university was that I made male friends yeah but even then I was never that close with them no you're always more with women aren't you yeah um so I don't know maybe I've just got like a bit more of a feminine like um sensibility towards like how to approach life in conversation mm. and stuff like that so how did you know when you eventually went on these dates like how did they go um i they were now looking back on it i can really understand why a lot of these people like ran for the hills like i really? think i went in 
hard. What did you do? I was just like, you know what? I've I've done. I'm not having. I've I've been a hoe. I've not been a hoe no more. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get myself the man, uh, and it's gonna happen after two dates. And I was just like the most oh. intense person, but like I was just really gripping for something. Like I needed yeah. something tangible, mm-hmm. and I needed it quick. And, and did you tell them instantly? Um, I think I was just quite intense with like the, a lot of them, um, mm. and then I told um, uh, I I've been pretty upfront with like my HIV status when it came to like having sex with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important that you are, um, but I wasn't having a lot of sex in that period. To be honest, um, the there was I can remember one thing I'd done. Um, I went on a, like an artist residency, like not long after my diagnosis, and like I've got like this tattoo up here, um, on my arm, which one of the girls had done with on there's like a stick and poke thing. All oh, right, yeah. And so then I... um, she was doing it, and then she like acts like it dropped and she like hit her leg, and I was like, I really need to tell her that like I have HIV. Oh my and, god, yeah. And I just literally couldn't do it. Like, I, I was so scared of, like, telling this woman, like... Because I think it would be one thing if it was a gay person or, like, anyone yeah. who had much knowledge of, like, what HIV did it, is. Did it cut her? I, I think it just pricked her. But, like, mm. I mean, luckily, like, so... Very luckily, there was actually an... Um, on this specific residency I was on, there was, like, four other gay men. Mm-hmm. And um, I had told one of them that I'd had HIV that was, like, starting medication and stuff like that. And... um he could see that I was like, just couldn't do it. I was like yeah. terrified to tell her that this had happened be though, because it, it was like... just such a small like, like thing that you, you don't even think about. Like it was just a silly like night of like, like doing like tattoos. Yeah. And to then kind of bring that into it, um, I was just like so terrified that she was going to think that I was a complete asshole. Um, and luckily he like done it on my behalf. He was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'll tell her for you. And what um, happened after that? I mean, she went to the... So that if you are or you think you've been exposed to HIV, there's like a third kind of medication that you can get, which is... I can't remember um, Post-exposure, something along the lines of that. Okay. Um, and basically you have a 72-hour window from the time that you think that you've been um, exposed to it and you can take like a, a course of medication and then it's like two weeks or like a month worth of tablets afterwards. And that right. just like makes sure that any virus that is still very early within your system is like eradicated, basically. Right. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, I guess she did that. She did do that. She yeah. went to the hospital in Dundee and she done that. That's um, good. And, uh, but sometimes like, I, I can, I'm so glad that you got someone else to tell her because otherwise that would have been on your mind forever if no, you just like definitely. didn't I, say anything. And like the thing that which is quite mental about that situation is that especially in some states in America, like that's a like a criminal offence to not yeah. tell someone. Yeah. Um, there's been and some a lot. Some people actually, like I don't know how true this is, but I've seen articles where people are like, deliberately doing it and I'm like surely that's not right uh, I don't know how I feel about that situation there's like a unless they're evil th- but there's like a f- kind of like a fetish scene within the gay community um, of what? like purposely like trying to get like diagnosed with HIV through like really like group sex situations and like not using condoms and like knowingly having sex with men who are HIV positive what, people are wanting it on themselves yeah they, they want to have it they want to get like um that's fucking weird it's a bit concerning yeah <laughs> 
What would be the what? Oh, I, I think even... the the thing about that though is that kind of um, the like minimizes quite uh for what some people is a very like difficult and like potentially life threatening illness to like. Uh, sexual fantasy. Yeah. I can't get wrap my head around why anyone would do that other than being like, oh, it doesn't do anything, you know, but still, why would you want... It's still, like, it's still a disease at the end of the day. Like, why would you want to bring it? It's still a disease and it still yeah. comes with, like, a lot of responsibility yeah. on your behalf to, like, really look after yourself. Like... Yeah. The... I always... It took me, like, a few months to adjust to the HIV and to finally... This is like two years, oh well, two and a half, coming up three years now. Um, and now this is me just starting to kind of really publicly want to talk about yeah. it. Because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important that people realise that like this is a uh, it's something that exists. Mm-hmm. But with modern medication, the likelihood of you like getting HIV from someone who's HIV positive is like nil. Mm-hmm. It's actually probably the people that, if you're that terrified of catching HIV should really be going to having sex with people who have HIV because the medication means that you're not going to get it from yeah, them. Yeah, uh-huh. um, What the issue is, is that people like like myself um, are so scared of going to get tested because of everything that they know historically around HIV and AIDS and what happened, which was very well documented in our community, that they're too scared to get tested. Mm-hmm. And it's those people that, like, I think a lot of work needs to be done on the sexual health side from like um, health services yeah, and a lot needs to be done to kind of get into communities and say like the only reason I went and got tested is because I went to a clinic which was specifically for queer people yeah that needs to be everywhere well I was uh, watching a TED talk actually um, and a guy actually changed his grinder to say HIV positive uh, and he was showing a bunch of messages that came up and some of them were negative from people that were really ignorant. And, but mostly, most of them were positive, but they were just saying, they were more kind of like, hey man, I think I might have it. Or, you know, I'm a little bit worried. Like, can you give me, and he was really um, open and he helped so many people. But it's like, the amount of people, there was hundreds of uh, messages and it's like, how many people are sitting there, you know, thinking they might have it and they just don't get it tested? Like, What's the what's the benefit of that, you know? And I think the thing is that people are like like I was, and like most people that have HIV are just like terrified of like I know, yeah. of like oh my god, I live with HIV, and it's actually not something that's that difficult to live with. It's mm-hmm. very manageable. Yeah. I have asthma, and my asthma is more of a pain in my ass than my <laughs> HIV is. Like honestly, yeah. Like I go to the gym and I come back, and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Like, and that is such a pain in the ass. And, like, even the nurse said to me on that first day, she was like, honestly, like, diabetes is harder to control than HIV. Mm. Like, this is not a... It's, like, it's a serious illness, mm. but it's not something that you need to be scared of. Like, it as brings long it back as to the stigma, doesn't it? It yeah. brings it back to that. And um, that's what it makes people scared of it, is what people will think of them. And that's what I went through. Um, so how did your... Um, <coughs> how did your family... How did you tell your boyfriend now? Like, how did they all take it? Um, my sister uh, was difficult. Like she, oh, she, I can remember actually calling her. So I was pretty like I called my mum the first thing person I talked to was my mum afterwards, and she was pretty good with it. Um, okay. And she has consistently been. Sometimes I feel like she checks up on me like health wise, if there's like I, I don't really know how many times I can tell her like you really don't have to do that. Like there's yeah. nothing to worry about. Um, like I went vegetarian. She was like, is that really a good idea? <laughs> God. Yes, it is a good idea. Do you think like that's really going to be for your health? <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> it's like Most vegetarian, mom. my God. She's like, are you going to get all the nutrients that you need? <laughs> my mum's like that as well, though. I think every mum is. Yeah. But the thing is, bizarre though, is my mum previously is like, I really need to stop eating so much meat, you know, like what's happening to the planet? And then I do it, she's like, are you really sure? <laughs> I'm just really worried about it. <laughs> That's what I imagine my mum's voice is like when she's like on her phone and she's texting me. Pure whispering. Like, cause I, I only really, I, I'm, I don't know if it's normal to text your mum more than call her, but I, I literally just only text my mum, and I can just she sends these like big paragraphs. Oh, does she? And I can just imagine her voice like. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Check it in. Oh, that's a little bit more friendly than the last one. Check it in. Um, well, that's good that she took it well. Yeah, I mean, the, actually, the thing that's still a bit. I mean, I can kind of live in like a bit of comfort and that know that my dad is never going to come across like content like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I take it he doesn't know. My dad does not know. And the okay. reason that I, my dad doesn't know um, is that that is one conversation that I just find I don't know what my dad's reaction will be like. Right. And not more that... Um, I just feel like it's like negative news that like, not it's not negative news but it's just something that I really don't think he'd un- know how to process yeah and the main reason for that is that during the AIDS crisis in the early <laughs> 90s my dad so my uncle was uh, was gay um, and actually died of AIDS, in the AIDS crisis from oh HIV, AIDS related HIV so what is sorry all the way around HIV related AIDS so this is me being a bit ignorant what is like AIDS in comparison to HIV what's the so it HIV is a virus which um, attacks your immune system. So at a certain point, um, if your immune system has been kind of like eroded basically by HIV to such a high extent, it just means that you're more exposed to other illnesses which come down the line. So that okay. the, the two kind of most common things that people would like die from who contracted HIV was pneumonia and AIDS. So AIDS is like another virus which comes in after HIV um, but oh. the two are very closely linked so HIV right. basically comes in first your immune system would shut down which leaves you extremely vulnerable to other illnesses mm-hmm. and then you can um, have AIDS which is like an HIV related illness um, they're right. not the same illness though okay so what is AIDS just a immune system thing or I'm not entirely sure, no, I'm not sure I'm not sure maybe we could google and we'll see what it stands for yeah I think it's like an autoimmune disease maybe I'll look on my on my thing what is the difference shall I say yeah the difference between AIDS and also I feel like I should really know this well yeah sometimes okay so AIDS is a condition while HIV is a virus that may cause an infection AIDS is short for acquired I can't say this word. Immunodeficiency syndrome is a condition. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, Contra- like, contracting HIV can lead to development development of AIDS. So, I think AIDS is worse. Yeah, it's worse. You okay. die from AIDS. You don't right, die. Okay. HIV itself doesn't kill. Right. AIDS is what kills people. Oh. Okay. Um, and so that's a condition, and then yours is a virus. Yeah. Okay. I see. And the the main reason that that's actually um, quite important to like notice the difference. This is very general across most illnesses. Like people that go and ask the doctors for like antibiotics if they've got the flu, ain't going to do jack shit, honey. Like right. Why is that? Flu's a vax is a virus. So right. Okay. Um, oh, antibiotics. Yeah, of 
um, are used to treat infections. So they're very e- infections are relatively easy to treat through um, the use of antibiotics, which targets the um, infection within like a certain part of your system. Uh-huh. Viruses are like cells, basically. They're their own organism. The best way to think of them is like a bit like a parasite. So you as a person are a host. The virus enters you. Uh-huh. It uses you to like multiply, and then it uses like you contacting other people to spread so that's how it multiplies Um, so similar to like the coronavirus at the moment that's kind of that outbreak which is happening um, it's a virus so the reason that viruses are can vary in difficulty to treat the main reason for that being um, that the it depends on the genetic structure of the with HIV so basically it's like a kind of knot of like information um, the knot is incredibly complex, so scientists have not really been able to like figure out how to like mm-hmm. fully get it unravelled to understand it to then make a like an, a vaccination or any sort of treatment that yeah. would actually eradicate to, it. Is is um, the HIV treatment essentially um, a little bit of it? Uh, no, so the no, okay. HIV treatment is very complicated and very science. Uh, when I got it told to me, I was like, man. <laughs> what <laughs> chemists are cool like, yeah actually that like, is true biomedical chemists are cool people I don't mm. know, understand how they figure this shit out but no. they're very cool basically I think what it does is um, the tablet essentially like makes it so that your cells um, they like it kind of like puts a chemical on your s- immune system cells or mm. something along those lines and it means that the chemical on the virus which would normally latch onto the cell to get, enter and multiply, um, it can't latch onto the cell, so it can never enter the cell. Right. And it needs to enter the cell to then, like, um, spread, basically. Um, they can't do it on every cell, that's why they get it to, like, an undetectable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's how it works. So it doesn't actually target the virus, it um, targets your cells and essentially kind of creates, like, a chemical defence on your cells so that the virus can enter them. Okay, cool. That's quite interesting, isn't it? So how did your uh, current boyfriend take it? Uh, yeah, so Daniel was just like probably the best person. I think a lot of the reason that I'm in a relationship with my boyfriend is um, was his reaction to it. Where, really? Um, I was, we met on Tinder and I was like kind of having a conversation. Uh, we were chatting for ages and then we kind of got into like the sexy chat. I was like, like, I'm going to do all these things. And then, as you do, rightfully so, like, you need to be, like, sexually compatible with a person. Oh, exactly. No complaints. (laughs) And. um, I'm so happy for you, Donald. (laughs) (laughs) And, um,. So that, that obviously that came up, that part of like getting to know each other came up. And then like I just said, I was like, just to let you like know, like I am HIV positive, I'm undetectable. If you don't know what that, that this is, then I can like, I'm happy to talk about it with yeah. you or whatever. Luckily, like Daniel is like very, um, he's just very like knowledgeable of these things. Oh, like, he? like he just kind of like looked in, like I think he just like was a very sex positive person beforehand anyway and was like, knowledgeable of it and kind of knew about it um so he was very um good with it but actually the first thing he said to me was like um i would just wanted like to take the opportunity to say thank you for like being that honest with me like straight up oh Um, that's so nice and it must have been like 
like I, I kind of commend like your honesty around that and like mm-hmm. trust me with that information. Well, that's the thing as well, isn't it? It's like there's there's one on one hand, it's like you know this is all the stuff you're telling me. It's absolutely fine. You can live with it. You know, people over exaggerate. Um, with the stigma of it but at the same time you still must have like a feeling of like fuck I've got to tell them so even especially somebody that you are new with that you really like um, you don't want to scare them off so it yep. must be like a, like I think that's really brave to say it and I think I've kind of the good thing about going on all those weird dates was like it kind of built up my resilience to just telling people like I live with HIV and like getting it like not to be something to be ashamed of saying and like I kind of like realized that like after a certain amount of like if somebody went odd with me after that like it's not the kind of person you want to be with no. anyway like if they're That's not so true, actually. if they don't want to educate themselves or they have a or they're like just refusing to like understand that like that's not 1993 anymore mm-hmm. like and there's really nothing to be scared of then got no time for them yeah um, that's such a good outlook on it as well that's how everyone needs to start thinking yeah and then I knew that I fell in love with my boyfriend after meeting one of his friends and I got talking to about with Haley, um was the name of his friend and um she left and I can't even remember what I was saying about it but he just turned around to me and he was like you know I really he said I love you first I was like did he did he actually yeah he's like the way that you just talked about like you're living with HIV he was like you know I really love you and uh, I was like <laughs> that's amazing Donna. this is like a, a such a good love story do you yeah. know what I mean like oh and also I'm excited to meet him I know he's very good yeah me and Meg just found out that we're going to the same film tomorrow <laughs> yeah. we're going to go and see Parasite actually <laughs> can't wait for that actually yeah. Parasite's got really good reviews it's got very good reviews yeah so I'll see you there yeah I'll see you there <laughs> so what kind of like on sort of a kind of an end note then like how would you how would you like things to progress with um education on it and how people should address it for themselves or what 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 would you advise um people to how people should open up about it more um yeah so uh, just the same as like coming out as lesbian bi or gay or whatever it's on the person's terms who has hiv to who they want to disclose that information to yeah um I think now in the age that we live in with, like like I said, PrEP and um, the medications that are available to people, the treatments which are available to people living with HIV, there doesn't need to be such an emphasis on like, tell everyone, it's your responsibility that everyone should know about this. You don't even have to tell people about your sexuality, so you're totally right. So. Yeah, so um, like you wouldn't really expect somebody to walk up to you and be like, I've got cancer by the way. Yeah, that's so true actually, yeah. Um, like, so... Uh, because cancer is like it's non-contagious it's like I mean obviously HIV is contagious but if you're on medication mm-hmm. and you're like going for regular tests with your specialist like you don't pose a threat so yeah I think that needs to be removed from it but also I just feel like it needs to there's two things I think people need to recognise now that um, it's not a gay disease mm-hmm. um, a lot of the transition rates now are actually within um people from very impoverished backgrounds, homelessness, Mm -hmm. drug addiction, a lot of work needs to be done. I think something that really I'm very passionate about is like safe drug taking locations and um, urban places Mm -hmm. um, where like needle, what are they called? Needle stations or something like that? I've never even heard of it. Um, But basically it's like, so if you like do take drugs, you can go to somewhere and like be given a new needle Oh, really? rather than having to share any dough oh, and you're just taking that. it in a controlled environment mm-hmm. someone is there with you and it just makes sure that there's not 
um, that same cross contamination uh, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing is prep needs to be available everywhere. So um, I do not understand how, but um, prep is not available in. England. What's PrEP? So PrEP is a pill um, mostly taken by gay men but also has been very successful in trials with homeless people and people with drug addiction as well okay. um, and sex workers as well. It's a, similar to what I do, one tablet a day. If you take contraceptive, similar sort of idea. Okay. If you're at risk of contracting HIV, you would take one tablet a day. Um, there's even evidence that says you can take it like four days a week, you don't have to take it full time. Um, and it just means that if you do come into contact with HIV, um, your chances of contracting it are like 95% less. Right. Okay. Um, so it has eradicated transition rates in Scotland. It's been... You're um, so knowledgeable about these things. Well, ironically, PrEP was made available the month that I was diagnosed with HIV. Really? The, wow. Yeah. Um, so the... Um, that is yeah, ironic. That is ironic, mm-hmm. but um, on the... Uh, in like Glasgow, for instance, the clinic that I go to... Um, they we said they were just kind of like talking through like their success rates, and they were saying that ninety five percent of people that are in their clinic are untransmittable or undetectable and untransmittable. And there's such a, a large volume of people in prep that basically transition rates are like re, like dropping. That's good. Uh, so quickly. Um. So yeah, prep make it available in the NHS in, in England. Mm. Make it available for free in America. Like mm-hmm. it should just be free everywhere. Like this yeah. is a public health thing. Like realistically, in two thousand and nineteen, people shouldn't be getting HIV. Yeah, and that was the only thing that made me angry. Now the only thing that's angry about the fact that I have HIV is that realistically, in the twenty first century, with where we're at with medicine, I as a twenty four year old man shouldn't have HIV. Mm-hmm. But our systems don't want to front the bill to make people, to really eradicate this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why, because I mean, it would cost a lot less than like treating people with HIV. It costs, yeah. like I think I alluded to Prevention like, rather than cure. Yeah, prevention rather than like, exactly. So, um, yeah, but I would just say like, don't think of it as a gay disease. Don't be judgmental about it. And what would you say to somebody who might be listening that, might think that they have symptoms or you know they might be like curious as to go and get tested now what would you say to them just get tested mm-hmm. the like i mean i had that one negative experience but 98 percent of like sexual health nurses are a hoot <laughs> they are they that. are good fun people yeah. and they're very calming that's how they should be and the specialist that you're going to meet at like a gum clinic or any kind of clinic like that um they're very knowledgeable and they're going to put your mind at ease way more than it is now because like there's really the only thing to worry about if you think you have HIV or you've been at risk to it is not doing anything about it mm-hmm. because that is a problem yeah if you don't do anything about it then it is going to get worse it's going to get worse yeah so just get tested yeah it's fine Good. Everyone should get sexual health tests. Everybody should, though. That's I mean, the they're, they're free. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's at, at least like once a year. Like, I feel like. Twice a year, twice I think. A it's year. like, it's just like going to the dentist. But then there's some people who don't even go to the dentist twice yeah, a year. So. I know. I'm always in the dentist. But uh, fair enough, like, the dentist costs money, like, whatever. Mm. Like, I can understand not going to the dentist. Like, I've got a, a back row full of fucking fillings, but. <laughs> um, Me too. SDI tests, they're free. Yeah. If, and if you actually are very conscious of um, going to a clinic or just not that comfortable in that situation, mm. uh, particularly like 
non-binary and like uh, trans people find those situations quite difficult they're very gendered spaces okay um then there are at-home kits that you can purchase you can get them on amazon really um, it's just like a the prick blood test should oh. give you a result within like 10 minutes god that's pretty intense though it's intense but if you want to do it from the safety of your own yeah, home and true. like privacy you don't want to like people be asking why you're like going to a doctor's appointment mm. then it's there for you, you so there's, there's resources everywhere exactly so, um, and go on Terence Higgins Trust just google them do yeah. what? google Terence Higgins Trust you should put a link in the, like, the little description oh, of Ter- Terence Higgins Trust yep okay I will I will well thank you so much no problem <laughs> You've got that sexy voice on where you go. I know, I really do enjoy this microphone. <laughs> like I can shout from here. Or just be really up When you close. go really close to it. <laughs> sexy. I think I've got a good voice for a podcast. You, know? <laughs> you do, you do. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you coming on and being so honest about everything. And I feel like anybody listening to this will be a lot more informed than they were beforehand. So thank you so much. No problem at all. Thank you for thank having you. me. Thank you. That was episode one of season two of McHugh Corner. Thank you so much again to my wonderful guest, Donald Butler. Absolute pleasure having him on. And hopefully this podcast was as beneficial for you as it was for me. Thank you so much again for downloading. And please feel free to give my podcast a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to it. And watch out for my next episode in a couple of weeks' time.